Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Greg Barnes and Ross Martin. Going to get loose in Ross Martin terms in this podcast. Not a lot going on Carolina sports related, but Greg, there was a football practice today, and I know, Ross, you handled availability. Uh, but Greg, you know, one complaint that's uh, been made plenty about Carolina spring football is there hadn't been any access as far as fans getting information. Uh, that said, you had posts on the message boards today. Tell us what you saw, what you learned maybe at spring practice, and we'll kind of roll on from there. Well, I think kind of the key point to understand is that this is a program coming off a, a three and nine year. And that three and nine year came off of a eight and five year in which a lot of people think UNC uh, underachieved. And I, I, we can have that debate. We have had that debate. Uh, I tend to believe that UNC overachieved in 2015. 2016 was more kind of what should be expected or should have been expected with that team. Uh, but that that's in the past. So essentially what you have is a coaching staff that has a lot of new members, four new guys, uh, and they need to really maximize practice time. And that's one thing you know, Fedora has talked about is, yes, the, the seating player issue, the fact that there's no practice facility right now, no, no practice fields is an issue, uh, but he really wanted to maximize you know, that that extra practice because the spring game counts as one of the 15 practices that teams can have. And so that's kind of a, a key point. And so what, what you're seeing is there's a lot of guys out that all season surgeries that are still recovering from injuries last year. Uh, and there's a lot of young new faces getting reps. And so the more reps these guys can get, uh, you know, obviously the, the better they're going to be. And that's really what the coaching staff is focused on right now. And so in watching practice, I mean, you see just a ton of young guys uh, playing with the ones and the twos because they have to. I mean, you look at the, the defensive line, and there's a lot of guys, a lot of veterans that UNC is going to need to uh, depend on next year who are not practicing due to injuries and, and recovering from, from off-season cleanup surgeries and that type of stuff. So uh, you, it, it's one of those things where um, I think most people want to know about you know, quarterbacks. Elliot and, and Chad Surratt are, are rotating. I, I will say this about Surratt, though. It seems like, you know, we, we talked a lot last year about how he kind of had that loopy, weird release. Um, and we talked about needing to get quicker. It it looks much more compact. Um, he was firing some passes today. He's always had a good arm. Uh, but it seems like the, the rotation of that that throw is, is shorter. Um, he, he's firing it from really kind of from his shoulder instead of bringing it up so high. And, We'll, we'll be able to break that down more. You know, Jason Staples gets a look at it uh, and kind of give us feedback there. But uh, it's you know, a lot of different things to watch. But uh, the key takeaway is a lot of young guys getting a lot of reps. And that's kind of really where the focus is right now. Ross, uh, I'm sure you'll join us for Jason Staples' breakdown of yeah, Jess <laughs> But <laughs> let me ask you this. Uh, you've had the availability. Uh, I'd like to know what you learned from that. But also, Greg said that the spring game is an extra is a practice counts as a practice. My question to you, and I would love to hear Larry Fedora's response, is: Is that extra practice worth more than getting the fans some contact? 
and getting a group of fans or however many fans there are having some contact with a football program that quite frankly needs as many fans as it can get right now. Yeah. I mean, I get what you're saying. And um, I think that's a good way to kind of maintain a little, you know, closeness to the the football program and, and keep those hardcore fans that appetite for football satisfied. Um, it certainly doesn't hurt in terms of building fan support, but it's one day. I don't think it's that big of a deal. And if you've been in a spring game in Keenan, or I think what last year it was at uh, on Fetzer Field, the soccer fields. I think there's been one in um, over, over there on the practice fields before. I mean, there are not many people there. Uh, it's just, it's not a, a great show out in terms of comparing it to schools like Clemson or Alabama and SEC country. And and UNC brings recruits around, and, and when they see the amount of people in the crowd, it's it's kind of embarrassing. And I've, I've talked to people in recruiting at UNC, and, and they. One person said that they would never hold a junior day or like any sort of big visit uh, weekend over the spring game because of that, because of how poorly it's attended. So I don't think it's that huge of a deal for fans. Of course, it's nice to, to bring the kids out and have something to do uh, with the family. Uh, but I talked to uh, Fedora today. We, we asked him about it. and um, He's pretty open about just the fact that, yeah, it's, it's an extra practice. It's, they can do more things. They can be more efficient. They'd be more effective. They can really do what they need to focus on for that extra practice time. And he seems to think it felt like he he seems to think the spring game is a little bit of a waste um, and more of just kind of a fanfare thing uh, and not um, not as important to uh, improving his team, which kind of goes back to this season and how important this year is for Fedora um, coming off the 39 season, looking towards his future and what this team needs to do, because I think there's a lot of question marks um, across the whole team. Very uh, some parts of the defense and parts of the offense, so they need a lot of help, a lot of work, and uh, I'm interested to kind of see what y'all think about Fedora and kind of where this season is going to turn and how important it is for uh, for the future of the program and Fedora himself. I can tell you this uh, before I go back to Greg. I agree with Greg's earlier comment that uh, the eight and five season is more in line of what to expect from North Carolina football. And I think that the the 11 and 1 or 11 and 3 overall is more of an outlier. I've said before, I think Carolina football's eight win program, you give that every year with a chance to go 10, 11, 12 wins every two or three or four years and as long as your ceiling's no lower than 6. I think everybody would be happy or should be happy. But, Greg, your thoughts um, in that regard with Fedora here going into, what is it, year six, year seven now? Yeah, year seven. Yeah, it's, seven. Uh, it's unbelievable. Second is longest, long, but... Is that the second longest tenure of a coach? Just, it's, it's crazy to me how, how <laughs> time flies. But, Greg, your thoughts on where that is as far as Fedora. I think – the new staff and the excitement of the new staff hires, at least Tar Pit Premium message board wise, certainly breathes a little bit of life um, into his tenure at North Carolina. And I think this season's going to play a big part in how long it lasts, Greg. Yeah, I think it's, this is a fascinating development because I really believe that, um, I don't know, I would say a complete pass, but he, he gets you know, a lot of credit for the fact that uh, you know, the team battled through you know, incredible injuries last year. 
um, and still went three and nine. I mean, they were they were still battling at the end of the year. He gets some credit for that, keeping the team together. Um, and so I, I don't think this is necessarily a make or break year for him. I mean, if they if they go three and nine again, then we can have that conversation. But you know, if this team can get back to a bowl game. Uh, you know, they can they can flirt with that you know, six and six, seven and five mark. I, I think he's probably fine. Now he'll have to improve on that moving forward. Uh, but if you, they, you know, they go six and six next year, then maybe the next year is when you start saying, okay, now we're far enough removed from that contract where the buyout's not as severe. Um, he, he really has to prove that, you know, the, the 2015, as you said, Tommy, wasn't a fluke. And because things have been going trending negatively since then, then it would be pressure on him. But I don't think, you know, I don't think 2018 is really a make or break year for him. I, mean, I fully expect him to be back in 2019 unless things just get really bad next fall. Uh, it, but it, having said that, let me say this real quick, Ross. Yeah. The fact that he has made these comments um, about the spring game, about how he needs that extra practice, and the fact that he is, he's brought these new assistant coaches in, and the fact that, uh, you know, as, as Buck Sanders has, has covered, on the message boards uh, over the past month or so, there was some um, you know, some talk about possibly bringing in an, uh, a new office of coordinator to kind of fix this OC3 deal. And that Fedora apparently is, is kind of taking the offense into his own hands and really wants to handle this himself. I think those things kind of lend towards that. Hey, he understands that things are, are maybe not as solid as, as they once were and that he really needs to take command, take control of this, tuck everything under, uh, and make sure that UNC has a good year in 2018 so that there's no question about his job status going into 2019. Yeah, and I think what's so weird is that we can't take much from last year because of all the injuries. It's kind of hard to judge that. Um you know, it, who knows how many games they win if, if everybody's healthy, you know, they make a little run there at the end and, and maybe they do get to a bowl because they had some close games there. So it's hard to judge last year and, and look into this season because of what happened with all the injuries. And I think this year, 2018, is going to be a, a big rebuilding year. They still got a lot of young players and look at the roster right now. Not too many seniors, a lot of juniors that are going to play big roles and start on this team. So you would think they kind of they get that experience. They build up 2018, and then and 2019 could be a much more successful season given uh, the depth and the development of talent of some young players and then veteran leaders. You know, guys like Miles Dorn, who's going to be a junior next year, uh, William Sweet and Charlie Heck and the quarterbacks and all those guys will be juniors and seniors in 2019. I think that is a promising year. So it's, it's it gives this year um, important for developing and getting to that 6-7 win mark and then taking a jump uh, in, in 2019. But if that doesn't happen, then you have to look, like Greg's, Greg said, to you know making a move or considering the options there. So I think it's a very important uh, year in kind of building off of a really disappointing year and, and developing players uh, moving ahead. I, but, I will add that I think, Tom, I will add that if it was just last year, then you could definitely just say, yeah, you know, forget it. It's not a big deal. But – I know there are some people who look at that 2016 year as a wasted opportunity because arguably that's the most offensive talent that UNC has ever had on one roster. Um, and yet that team loses five games. And so I don't think it's just a matter of looking at what happened 
last fall. It's a matter of saying, okay, well, first you have 2016 where they missed benchmarks. And then you go into 2017, and let's be honest, right? I mean, what did we say going into that season? You know, best case scenario, that team was going six and six, seven and five. And after seeing how quarterback play played out, they were going to be battling for a, a postseason bowl bid anyway. And the injuries kind of mask that. And you say, well, all these injuries, and now they're three and nine. Um, and so it's not just last fall, but it's, it's the last two years. So the trend. Um, is what's going to matter after you know, 2018. And, and, and let, get, me, let me toss this in so we don't forget it. All eight and five seasons aren't alike for North Carolina football. I mean, you can't lose to State and Duke and, and Wake and East Carolina, for that matter, and expect the fan base uh, to accept an eight-win season every year. I mean, I think that plays a huge role too, Ross. Yeah, and that's the State and Duke losses in 2016 were horrible. I remember being at the Duke game. Um, I mean, they should not have lost that game. I mean, Carolina was such a better team. They just blew it and couldn't stop Duke. Um, getting that fresh, I think Daniel Jones was the QB then. And, and yeah, Greg's nailed it with uh, 2016 underachieving, 2017 over – 2016 underachieving, 2015 overachieving. Uh, my question for 2018 is: I don't know if the, if they have a quarterback that can get it done, and that's that was the issue last year. And I don't know if there's a guy on the roster who you can turn to, like a Marquise Williams or Trubisky, that can lead this offense and make plays and be the guy. Because I think they do have some playmakers at wide receiver now. Uh, I have questions about the offensive line, losing a lot of people from a line that you know really wasn't that great last year either. Um, and so I have questions in that, that front five on offense and then at the quarterback spot. Um, and those are, I think, the two most important positions, obviously, on offense and kind of how everything starts. So uh, that concerns me for the future of the, uh, the Tar Heels. Greg, Larry Fedora has often said or has shown that it's, the quarterback's important part, but it doesn't have to be an uber-talented guy. Uh, the question is, injuries aside i mean what's on the roster now is does he have enough talent on the roster to win eight seven eight nine football games with with the guys in the fold now and i'm not really including the freshmen even uh you know with rubert uh, ruder and fortin there i mean that's an issue for this North Carolina football team uh, especially when you consider Williams, say what you want, the dude won a ton of ball games at Carolina and Trubisky. I mean, these guys aren't on that same, you know, stratosphere yet. If they could possibly get there, but your thoughts on that position, just that position for Carolina for the foreseeable future? Yeah, well, I think one thing to watch for is if Fedora goes on the hunt for a graduate transfer quarterback, and all signs right now suggest that he's not which means that he thinks he's got a guy that he can go with right now. Um, you know, whether that's Elliott or Surratt, what we do know is both of those guys have got to get better this offseason. That's kind of a, a key component. Um, you know, it, it looks like you know, leadership-wise, those guys will be uh, a year progressed. And uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you know, Surratt you know, correcting his mechanics a little bit, uh, that should be beneficial. But I think the, I think the primary issue is that they got to win and they got to win early. And if you look at their schedule, I mean, two of the most important games for North Carolina next year are two of the first three. And then you could add. 
at ECU in, even though ECU is not very good. But I mean, you're at Cal, you're at East Carolina, and then you're in Central Florida, which is the the reigning national champions, if I recall. Um, and so you you've got two tough games against Cal, and then and then you know the Golden Knights. So that's those are big games, and that does not give you a lot of time for either Surratt or Elliott to really work their way into being comfortable in the offense. And it does not allow them to to build confidence with a very uh, young offensive line. And so, you know, I think that is a concern. But as Ross said, when you look ahead to 2019, Elliott and Surratt will be another year older. The freshmen, Fortin and, and Reuter, will be you know, ready to go if they need to. So I think at that point, you've got plenty of options. Uh, but you just have to have you know, Elliott and you have to have Surratt get a whole lot better you know, in the next six months. Or else, you know, UNC goes, goes one and two to start the season. Uh, things could get you know, pretty pretty ugly pretty quick. I certainly agree with that. And Ross, on the graduate transfer question, I mean, Fedoras just can't, and I don't think they will, but they can't go that route this season. I mean, they tried it last year. Uh, you know, we'll say the injuries left that up in the air. But I think at this point, you got to ride with what you have on the roster or you may create some serious issues uh, with the guys that are there currently, your thoughts on the, you know, the possibility of, of that happening this summer. Yeah. I mean, overall um, the quarterback, obviously Brandon Harris didn't do much for North Carolina, but they did get some valuable run from, um, I mean, the guy, the names escape my mind because they're for one reason, the center who started for UNC and then the guard who started for UNC a lot. Um, Cam Dillard and Khalil Rogers. Yeah. So, I mean, those those guys, they, I mean, they weren't un- unbelievable players, but, you know, Cam Dillard started a bunch of games and Khalil Rogers also came in. So, um, I don't think they touch it in the quarterback market because I think Greg kind of nailed it with the fact that they have two guys who are, you know, one more year in the system and, and have some real live game experience and have some growth and leadership. And I think both those guys can win games for UNC. Um, and I, I just see the line as one area they could maybe bring in uh, an older guy to just have some depth there because there's always injuries in the offensive line and they have to replace um, a bunch of starters from last year. So that's one thing I could see. But the quarterback exper- um, experiment with Brand Harris uh, probably left a sour taste in the mouth of uh, of Larry Fedora. So I don't expect that to happen. Yeah, and if it you got to be in spring ball if that was ever going to be an option, at least to me. But yeah, I don't think that don't hurt Harris that. a lot. Yeah, right. I, yeah, I just think he never fully um, meshed, at least on the field. Uh, great guy though, with Carolina, very nice yeah. guy, great guy with the media, and I really, I really liked him. Yep, some very good interviews, and I've always kind of liked LSU, so that was a pretty cool aspect of it as well. But <laughs> let's go to break. We come back. We're going to talk the basketball side of things. Season's done, at least for North Carolina, but there's still plenty to talk about. We'll be back after this break. Ross, I'll start to you, and let's talk as a group, sort of non-directly Carolina-related, but then again, it kind of is. Uh, I was shocked to see that Jeff Capel took the Pittsburgh coaching job, Ross. Uh, your thoughts? Yeah, this is huge news. Um, Long-time Duke assistant. Uh, former Oklahoma coach, head coach Jeff Capel taking the job at Pitt, seven-year contract. Um, I think the assumption among many was that Capel was going to be the successor to Coach K at Duke. 
Um, and there's a lot of theories kind of swirling around now about kind of what the deal is with that move and, and what's the future at Duke and, and where Capel played in there. And I think there's a lot of really interesting theories to dive into. Um, I've talked to some, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know anything for sure. I just think it's kind of fun to bounce around ideas. Maybe Capel, um, you know, thought that he wasn't going to be the, the guy to replace K and, and K kind of let him know that and said, hey, great opportunity at Pitt to, to move on and be a head coach again in the ACC, something he obviously wanted to do. And so I don't think Pitt's a horrible job. I think it's a place you can win at um, up there. And, or maybe um, <clears throat> maybe they were kind of getting tired of this. You know, Capel's had the idea, had the, has a reputation as a really good recruiter, and then he was knocking down the one and dones. And I don't know, with all this FBI stuff and, and the scandals and things like that, that could have there could have been some smoke there. Uh, of course, I'm, I don't know this for sure at all. I'm kind of basing this on um, rumors and, and things you see and read, but maybe there was some things which kind of cutting ties and, and a great opportunity for him to move on. And and I've also heard, I think you mentioned this, Tommy, off off air about, um, you know, Duke wanting to get back to more of a traditional way of recruiting. And, and obviously they're, they're not going to fall off much r- recruiting-wise, but getting guys, getting some one-and-dones and some talented players, but also developing some um, – some top-notch players and having them stay three or four years like they used to do when they um, you know, had very successful winning programs. So a lot of things to kind of dive into with, with Capel taking the job at Pitt. Um, obviously a great recruiter and Duke had a lot of success recruiting and winning with, with the guys he brought in. So it'll be interesting to see how Duke's recruiting changes without Capel and how that imp- impacts teams like, UNC and, and Kentucky and even teams like State, you know, I think State has a chance to to up their recruiting with Kevin Keats and what they can do there in Raleigh. So I think it was a, a big decision uh, and a big news for Duke, for Pitt, for the ACC, and then kind of the waterfall of implications around the ACC and the NCAA. Greg, and to Ross, to your point, I, I've got some friends that have some a little bit of weight with Duke and, and they're there's not um i mean there's people up there that are fed up with the way things are going right now with the one and done stuff sure they like to win a lot of ball games but you know if there's a quote unquote carolina way there's some in that fan base and some in that power structure that don't really like think it's the duke way to have all these guys shipping in and out every year and you know some of them, maybe their old school want to get back to the a way of developing players and having guys that are there and winning that way. But Greg, you know, if, if Capel wanted to go get some experience coaching, get back on the coaching trail himself, Pitt would not have been uh, probably on the radar, at least for me from the outside looking in, um, but he's, but he's taking it. And, and so how do you think that, you know, that really affects the Duke power structure? How does it affect Pittsburgh? Is it a good thing for Pitt? How does it affect the ACC and North Carolina? Well, a lot a lot there to unpack, but I think it's a matter of, you know, Capel has been a hot name. Um, he's, you know, he's been at Duke now for, what, seven years? Um, and has reportedly you know, turned down jobs you know, at Georgia Tech, at Arizona State over the years. So it's not as though he hasn't had opportunities. But then you look at the Pitt job, and, I mean, they've, you know, they went after – uh, Hurley before he went to UConn. Uh, they interviewed Tom Crean. So there's been interest there. Um, but I think the fact that he is a very good recruiter, 
He understands the ACC landscape. Um, I, I think you know, that bodes well for him. And he walks into a situation you know, with what looks to be a, a seven-year deal with not a lot of expectations on him. Um, you know, I know everything was a big deal was made of the fact that the Pittsburgh players uh, were all granted their release if they want it. That doesn't mean all the kids are going to take it. Um, you know, I'm sure a lot of those kids realize that they're going to wait and see what kind of coach took that job. And so he's got to decide you know, who he wants to keep, uh, what options he has bringing guys in. And I think it's a, I think it's a good hire for Pitt. I mean, uh, I do think I kind of expected Capel to be the next guy uh, to take over for Kay because he's been there for so long and he's been such a crucial piece of that uh, recruiting dynamic. Um, but but I do think it's it's good for the ACC. And then in terms of in terms of Coach K, I don't know exactly what that says. Um, maybe maybe like you said, it's the fact of you know uh, he's he he has somebody else in mind when he steps down and wanted to let Jeff know that he wasn't going to be the guy. Maybe it's a matter of K has no intentions of stepping down anytime soon, and Jeff wanted to get back in the in the game before it got too late and. Maybe he coaches at Pitt for three or four years, has some success, and when K steps down, it's an easy transition back. Um, I think all the speculation is just that at this point in time. The fact that you know Nate James and John Shire were elevated to associate head coaches, uh, you know, I, I think that's an interesting dynamic because I don't think either of those guys are anywhere close to being ready to take over that program. So it brings into conversation of K. So. You know, do you go to Marquette and get Wojo? Do you go to Northwestern and check on Chris Collins? Uh, or do you you break rank and you find just the best available coach out there? Um, and I think Carolina's kind of in the same boat in the sense that you know, Roy's younger than Coach K is. Uh, but whenever he decides to step down, do you go the old school way and, and try to stay within the family? I know that's what Roy wants to do. I mean, he's, he told me last last fall that you know, he doesn't want to hire anybody on his staff that he hasn't worked with before or hasn't coached before. But Bubba is a different entity. You know, he's not a guy that's kind of the, the good old boy network. He, he, he takes a more business-like approach to it. And I'm sure there's some of that at Duke as well. So interesting dynamics for sure. But all that to be said, I think Cape would have pit is a, is a good hire. Um, I think you, I don't know that they could have done much better. But I think it's I think it's pretty good, and it should pay dividends, especially recruiting ones. Ross, do you want to be the guy that replaces Kay or Roy? Um, you know, Carolina was kind of a little different the way Guthridge came in after Coach Smith. Coach Smith orchestrated that one to you know plan perfectly, maybe. Um, but you know, Darty didn't work out replacing those two guys so do you really want to be the guy that follows one of those guys i I don't think you turn it down if you get offered it but yeah it's a tough spot um it's so interesting i mean it's it's the million dollar question those two jobs and and who replaces that i think the duke um the duke coaching job is a little more clear i think chris collins and wojo would be the two main guys not knowing what's going on here with capel and whether that's still an option or if that's out the window and then you've got guys like Mike Bray, who's coached at Duke, who's a hot name. I mean, he's a great coach, a little older, but still a very valuable coach that I think a lot of people like. Um, and then I think Johnny Dawkins kind of ruined his chances when he got fired at Stanford, but he's still coaching, I think, down in somewhere in Florida, South Florida, UFC, something like that. 
Um, and then UNC, it, I, it's just I've, I talk about this all the time with buddies and and friends and and, other, and people in the media. There's just no clear name of who's going to replace Roy when Roy retires, whether that's in two or three years or, or four or five years down the line. Uh, you got like what Wes Miller's doing at UNCG, but he's still so young and, and hasn't done it at a, a big time school and probably needs to take one or two more jobs before he's even close to being ready to be, to be considered for, for UNC. You've got uh, some longtime assistants out there with T McGrath and Jared Haas. I think Haas is, is more of an option at this point than anyone else. But then, like you said about Bubba, um, of going outside the family and just hiring the best, the best coach. And I think that's probably what happens unless there's something crazy with, with one of Roy's guys, whether that's Hass or, or Miller or um, someone else just starts winning at a crazy rate and it becomes more clear. Um, I, I'm always interested to see if, if a guy like Hubert wants to go to coach someplace else first and see what happens there. So a lot of dynamics. I, interesting. I love coaching searches and, coaching carousel and that Jeff Capel news was was really cool to kind of dive into and see what everybody was saying about that on that topic because he's he's pretty polarizing with everything you hear about Duke and recruiting and and how the recruiting is just ramped up since he got to Duke um in the one and done era kind of started in Durham Greg you think if the I think it either needs to be two or none or you know then the part of me says let the kids do whatever the heck they want to do but, Greg, do you foresee any changes in that coming down the pipe? I mean, I think it has to change. And do you think it matters um, one way or another, at least for the college game, the, the quality, let's say the quality of the college game, um, do you think it matters what happens with the one-and-done situation? That is That question is a very good one, Tommy, the, the quality of college basketball. Cause I think a lot of people would argue – that the quality has declined in recent years. Um, I, I mean, I say recent years, I mean, the last couple of decades when, when kids, all the good kids started leaving early. Um, you know, I, I don't know if a rule change would, would change that necessarily, uh, unless you're talking about maybe three years. And I don't think that's going to happen. Um, you know, I think the fact that we can have these conversations now, but you know, the collective bargaining agreements not being up to 2024, you know, we're we're a long way away from this becoming a reality, um, and I like what Adam Adam Silver has has talked about in terms of you know maybe setting up the G League as really the the development league it should be, uh, and uh, you dropping the uh, age limit to eighteen, letting kids come in you know right out of high school and immediately putting them them in the the G League kind of like a farm system, which is essentially what they've used college basketball for all these years anyway. I mean, Silver's up front with that, like, hey, you know, we like the idea of getting these kids into college. You get to look at them for a year against elite competition, and you see how they stack up. Uh, and so there, there's the business part of it, but there's also an understanding you know, by the M NBA brass that this does affect other groups. And I think, you know, when you've got the NCAA's commission led by uh, Condoleezza Rice looking into these kind of things, they're supposed to issue a report sometime in the spring. Um, you know, we'll get a little bit more feedback there. So I think it is coming. And I, I personally, I, I think you let kids do whatever they want to do. I mean, if you're going to, if you're going to limit them at the college level in terms of what they can make, if they can't make money off their own likeness, then let them do whatever they want to do. Uh, let them go pro. And that changes the recruiting dynamic for sure. 
Um, and it, it really kind of lends to an opportunity where, hey, you know what? You don't have to worry about recruiting the top 10 kids. You can really worry on worry about recruiting the other guys. Uh, and I think for some coaches, that would be very beneficial. You don't have to worry about kind of the elites of the elites. But it, it is going to be, like I said, with it being 2024 before this really takes shape, this will be a conversation point for, for a number of years before anything is actually done. Yeah, and to, to hop in there after Greg, um, I think you just it should be just the market. Let the market drive it. Capitalism, if, if a kid wants to make money out on his own uh, after high school, he should be able to do that uh, and go to the league and opt to the draft. And then I like the idea of that farm system that I was going to talk about as well that Greg mentioned, um, the, the G League and making that an option where players can make money if there's money to be made and develop and, and grow there and, and at least get a paycheck. But if a player wants to go to college and, and work towards his degree and wait a little bit and develop and maybe basketball, <clears throat> being a pro basketball player is the number one priority and the degree is an option and let them go to college and stay as long as they want. <clears throat> then when they come out, they can, uh, they can make money, but I don't think you can restrict at someone who's 18 years old from, from making money. So making them go to college just doesn't make sense. You can go fight in a war and all this other stuff, but you can't go play professional basketball is a little silly. Um, you've seen some players go to China and Europe, a couple players to, to make money right out of high school, then come back to the draft. Um, which obviously is sticks with that kind of capitalistic uh, mentality. So um, I think in terms of you've seen the some of the games in, in the tournament this year have been so sloppy. It's definitely college basketball. The quality of it at times is pretty bad, um, and, and it's across the board. So I think having players stay longer and develop and, and build chemistry with players and coaches and within their program and system is beneficial to the game. And I think for fans, it just builds more interest. Um, you see how awesome it was to to watch Theo Pinson and Joel Berry and even Justin Jackson last year and Kenny Meeks and Isaiah Hicks and Nate, Nate Britt kind of grow as men and, and watch them develop as players and get to know them on a, on a deeper level just as a fan watching interviews and being around them and how special that is. That's what makes college basketball uh, so fun for fans and when – I, mean, I have friends who, who are Duke Duke fans and Kentucky fans, and it's it's irritating when they have to learn a whole new six or seven names every year, and they don't know who the starter is going to be, and they can't really project much um, in terms of um, who's going to be on their team because every year they get you know at least three or four to five new starters, and that's got to be exhausting every year. And then we don't have the results uh, like Kentucky and Duke haven't had in terms of the last couple of years uh, get to the Final Four. Uh, it kind of leaves a lot to be desired in that one and done era. Well, and that's part of the reason I quit, you know, really caring about pro sports is guys change teams all the time and just chase a dollar. Now college basketball. I mean, you know, Roy Williams's model certainly worked for him and worked for North Carolina. I don't get the other one. Uh, but Greg, one more question about the one and done thing, and then we'll get out of here. Is if if college baseball can do it, and, and nobody really complains about college baseball's model you can go pro you stay for three years or you're you have to you can't get a draft until the third year fourth year after your high school graduation why is it such a big deal for telling college basketball players if you stay you got to stay i mean if you go to school you got to stay in school i mean I, I don't understand why it's not good for basketball but it seems to work for baseball though granted there are some loopholes in the college baseball system but 
I mean, they're all student athletes, right? They are. And then you get into other sports where it's not even an issue. I mean, you know, Jordan Spieth goes for a year and he comes out and nobody says anything. And they say, hey, he's making money. Um, Katie Ledecky, you know, she got tired of all the amateurism stuff. So now she's going pro. Nobody's really made a big deal about it. Um, and so I, I think you kind of get into you know, football. I think so. I think football is a sham. I mean, football, college football is nothing more than a farm system for the NFL. And the NFL has been able to say, look, if you let 18-year-old kids come into the NFL, they could really get hurt. That's kind of been their model. They're not physically mature yet. Well, it's your job if you sign these kids to protect them and to put them into developmental leagues and not use college football as that. And so people don't really talk about that. I mean, I think that's the fact that kids have to say three years in college football is a joke. I mean, let them, if a kid wants to come out, I mean, like Maurice Claret, let him come out. I don't understand that. And you have to find what works for you. Um, and I do like how baseball is set up. But the fact that those kids have to stay in school and they have to stay eligible, you know, that's that's tough. Um, we've seen countless times over the years, you know, there, there are kids who play ba- baseball. They get somewhere, they're there for a year or two, academics are tough, and then they're not on the roster the next year. And they end up at a JUCO, and then they play there for a year, and they end up getting drafted. Um, and so there there are flaws with all of the setups. There are positives with some of them. Uh, but, you know, I, I think the fact that it is college basketball, it is the NBA, uh, for whatever reason, people think that they have uh, more more say in how those things should be handled. Um, but, you know, I, I, like Ross said earlier, I mean, if the kids want to make money when they're 18 years old, let them make money. I, I don't have, I don't understand why that can't be. And if you want to, if you want to put some kind of back end clause on it, like baseball does, where look, you can go pro, or you come to school. But if you come to school, you got to stay two years, or you got to stay three years. I don't mind having that conversation, but you got to let at least let the kids have some say and some leeway in how they want to handle their financial affairs, their lives, all those things. The, the one tweet I saw that was interesting, and I can't remember who said it, and Greg, maybe you remember, but Ross, somebody said something to the effect of, you know, a coach for a one-and-done player doesn't teach him anything, doesn't do anything with him. He just tries not to screw him up. And I, I kind of laughed at that, thinking about how guys that have come to Carolina have developed. I mean, we can talk about the Michael Jordan said, you know, everything he learned, he learned from Dean Smith. And all that, but that quote, not screwing up a kid. What's the point of even being there if you're just not going? If you're just going to be there, just not to get screwed up. But Ross, yeah. I let you close the show on that thought. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, some of these kids come just knowing they're going to leave, and so they're not going to class. They're, you know, they don't have a commitment to the university. They're not there to, you know, work with other their teammates and work with upperclassmen they're they're not looking to they know they're just good enough to go and be drafted whether that be first or second round you kind of sense that mentality early on with a a bunch of guys this year and you got guys committing to the draft declaring for the draft in the locker room after a loss which i think is just it's crazy to see it happening and um yeah i think the one and done air it needs to be changed um and uh the in the college game is so much different than the nba game so you you're 
you put this coach is trying to adapt his style to a player who will not be playing that style in a couple months and limiting his shots or putting him in offense and maybe making him play zone and stuff like that. Like not teaching them defenses they're never going to ever use again. It's like that. It just It's kind of silly. I mean, there's no reason Marvin Bagley and DeAndre Ayton and some of those guys should have been playing college basketball. They're, they could be starters on, on 15 to 20 NBA teams. So um, I think a change is coming, and I think it's it'll probably be for the better, but it's important that they get it right so uh, things can go back to where they were. I'm going to steal Ross's encore. Um I think kind of a key point that that has we've recognized it because we cover UNC, um, and I think Duke fans are, are starting to realize it. There there are benefits and there are positives that coaches bring to the table, and then there are some coaches who have to mask weaknesses. I think John Calipari and Sean Miller and coaches like that have to rely on one-and-done type talent to have success. Now, maybe Cal, well, Calipari is significantly better coach than, than Sean Miller is. Uh, but by having so many young guys that come in and out of the program, they can just kind of fire through, and they can have some, some success, and maybe if things work their way and they have enough talent like Calipari did in 2012, and maybe they can win a title. Um, but if you look at what Roy Williams has done the last couple of years, when he's been missing on a lot of these elite guys, what has he done? He's put together teams and not one year teams. He's put together you know, teams that extend over a period of years, you know, from Marcus page and Bryce Johnson to Joel Berry and Theo Pinson learning under those guys and taking that experience and going another year, winning a title and then going another year and having a phenomenal year this year that a lot of us weren't sure they could have. And you get to see Joel Berry mature, and you get to see Theo Pinson grow and mature, right? Coach K, what has happened with him? Say what you want about him, but he's one of the greatest coaches of all time. And one of the reasons was is that back in the 80s and the 90s into the 2000s, he would coach teams, and he always had guys that were juniors and seniors that you absolutely hated because they knew what he wanted, they played with passion. Uh, they were very good defensively, and they were very good teams. And now that he's switched to this one-and-done approach, they're not the same quality of teams. They have a lot of talent, and sometimes that's good enough. But as a cohesive team, as an experienced team that does exactly what he, he does well, we haven't seen that in recent years. And so you, you see more upsets in early rounds. You see guys not being able to handle pressure. And I think that's been a, a negative for, for Mike. Um, and so where, while it's a benefit for the Millers and the Calipari's of the world, I think that has kind of taken away some of the things that Coach K does so well. And it's one of the things that Roy has been able to avoid because while he has had a few one and dones, for the most part, he's been able to build a team over the years. Uh, and so I really do think if you get rid, rid of the one and done rule, it's going to hurt Calipari, it's going to hurt Sean Miller and those types much more than it's going to hurt UNC or Duke as long as Roy and, and Coach K are there. Yeah, I, I'll give you that Coach K is one of the great coaches of all time. He absolutely is, but I don't think he's done many, much coaching in the last two or three or four years. Yeah, exactly. I agree because he, because it's so difficult 
his style of play, which is you know, his great Duke teams were great man-to-man defensive teams. Yeah. Right? And you can't do that teaching these kids in a period of six, seven, eight months. You're not going to teach them to be great defenders. I mean, look how many North Carolina kids come in and they are not good defensively their first year. But then they get dramatically better. Um, and so I think he's been limited. I mean, I think next year uh, with those guys coming in that are so talented, I bet you'll see them play a lot of zone yet again because those man-to-man principles are just so tough to learn and be good at in, in short order. Yeah, it's been quite interesting to watch from this side of it, just to see those guys, and Ross, you mentioned it, and then we're going to get out of here, but to see Bagley and Carter and those guys playing zone. I mean, that's like driving a Ferrari in first gear around the neighborhood. It's just such a waste, and it didn't pay off for them as they lost out. But at any rate, we could talk about this stuff forever. I hope our listeners have bared with us a lot of good stuff in this show. But Ross and Greg, it's always our weekly deal, and I appreciate us getting through another one. Thanks, guys. All right, see you, Tommy. Later, Tommy. Thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting.